Hey, it's Dalton. Thanks for tuning in to Good Trash Media. Uh, we want to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Loot Crate. Out of Oklahoma City, you're listening to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where movies are more than just 90 minutes in a bucket of popcorn. The Good Trash Genre Cast is a member of the Good Trash Media family. For more information, go to goodtrashmedia.com. They're talking about you, boy, but you're still the same. Hello, everyone, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where the movies you watch with your friends take on an academic edge. Every week, we take a look at movies you wouldn't normally discuss in a film studies course. But this week's film might someday be an exception to that rule, or at least I think so, as we continue our Keith and Thawne. Uh, this week, we look at my host pick. That's right. I'm running the show. Uh, I'm, I'm half as smart, but twice as pretty as Dustin Sells. And so uh, I'm running the show. <laughs> and we are looking at Speed Racer. Uh, it's the dramatic story of a trucker trying to overcome his upper's addiction as he carries a load cross country. <laughs> I want to watch that <laughs> Is movie. it over ice? Like yes. ice road truckers? Yeah. yeah. My dad uh, loves that show. He has a long way to go and a short time to get there. And so do we, dear listeners. So mm-hmm. let's make some introductions to my left, if you will. Hi, my name is Caleb Masters, and uh, Arthur, what what nonsense is this? Uh, this is terrible for what passes as ninjas these days. <laughs> that's right, that's right. Caleb stole my line. Uh, next to him, sir, if you will. My name is Dalton Stewart, and get that weak shit off of my track. <laughs> we will. Uh, across the table from me. My name's Alexandra Bohannon, and pancakes are love. And I am... That is true. You know what? Yeah. Pancake. Breakfast food of any type. Oh, God. That's why brunch is the best meal. Why? Brenner. Why? Brenner is the best meal. I'm, I'm, I'm a big Brenner fan. I, I, don't, I don't think it gets enough credit. It doesn't. Well, uh, this week's show is... Hey, you didn't introduce yourself, but... Who are you? I did. I tried to. Oh. Then we got to sidetracked by food. We which did. Which usually happens. Yeah. I'm Arthur Gordon. The uh, It's so the, weird to have you in the driver's seat this week. I know. Yeah, speed racer style. Uh, Dustin um, is uh, in a uh, cross-country uh, race yes. uh, for uh, his life. The Labor Day pre- the, lab- the Labor Day, the Labor Day, Day, Day pre. Oh, man. Anyway, we're full of bad jokes. Uh, anyway, this week's show is a part of our Patreon-sponsored marathon brought to you by Keith and Smith, who had pledged enough to support this marathon. Uh, now, the marathons are no longer a reward. Keith and got grandfathered in, uh, but you can still pledge enough to choose a singular movie for us to tackle. Alex, could you tell us a little more about Patreon? Sure thing, Arthur. If you head over to patreon.com forward slash GTM, you can select a dollar amount in which you can put your hard-earned money to work for us where you can get some sick rewards um, by uh, supporting us a little bit each month. A little, as little as a dollar a month and as much as you want. And we will um, give you some really nice rewards like picking our movie for you to podcast over, an electronic episode guide, some exclusive radio content like our uh, discussion and dissection of the Suicide Squad in comics uh, are just some of the great features you can get by going over to patreon.com forward slash GTM. Thank you, Alex. Now, one more quick piece of housekeeping. Caleb, we do have a live event coming up. Isn't that right? That's right, guys. As part of the Keith and Thon, we're, we're going to have our next live event, and it's going to be in the theme. You know you know what that we're going to do? We're going to be catching them all. All of them. Have you guys been playing Pokemon Go? I know a couple of us at this table have, have been doing it. Nope. Bit. <laughs> okay, so one hasn't been doing it. Yeah. The, uh, the professed hater of anime. Yep. Yeah, no surprises there. Some of us love fun and joy, Dalton. Uh, so therefore, we're going to be... I live be... in the real world, Caleb. 
Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> says, Whatever. Says the, says the man who says he loves comedies, he loves joy of Pokemon. But uh, regardless, we're going to be hosting a Pokemon Go uh, live event on September 16th. Uh, that's right. That's a Friday, September sixteenth at seven p.m. We're gonna be we're gonna be hanging out, doing some Pokemon Go. Uh, bring your your smartphone, or if you have a 3ds, I didn't even think about this. If you have a 3ds and you like to play Pokemon and want to trade or something like that, bring that on down too. Anything Pokemon? If you got Pokemon cards, bring Pokemon cards. Do some trading. Pull out that holographic Charizard that's now worth a fortune. Done. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, we'll be doing that. We'll be hanging out, talking Pokemon, just uh, kind of hanging out with you guys and talking. And then we're gonna be watching a movie that. Uh, due to some legal disclaimer, we cannot tell you what the movie we're going to be watching is. Exactly. However, we can kind of tease you. It, it might be the first of its kind, you could say. The, the movie we're going to watch will be the first of its kind uh, involving Mewtwo. Uh, you've probably heard of it. So just kind of dig a little further there. And then afterwards, we're going to be hosting a live episode of the Good Trash Genre Cast where you get to hear us get crazy analytical about that movie so uh, guys again that's sept- friday september 16th at 7 p.m i hope you can make it down it's gonna be a good time uh where was that at that's gonna be at the parish on the plaza so so th- for, for those of you who are local to oklahoma city that's gonna be down in the plaza district right across the street from empire slice house at the parish which is also attached to district house check it out there we also have a facebook event at facebook.com slash good trash media where you can go ahead and tell us give us a heads up rsvp would help us out and it also has the address the specific time and address of the event Perfect, perfect. There you go, dear listener. Uh, we hope you come watch a movie with us, catch some pocket monsters. Uh, but now we need to do what we came to do. So as a reminder, this is not a review show. It is an analysis show. There will be spoilers. Uh, we're going to start with a synopsis and give quick reviews and then move on from there. So Mr. Voice of the Dollar Theater, <coughs> tell the dear listener what Speed Racer is all about. Gladly. A young driver. Speed Racer aspires to be champion of the racing world with the help of his family and his high-tech Mach 5 automobile. True stories. True stories, Uh, everybody. I'm really excited that you found... I was curious, Arthur, because I know you're not... uh, I mean, you don't have the distaste for it that I, I have expressed, but uh, you're not a big anime fan, so I was always I was very curious what your host pick was going to be, uh, and you cheated, which I think is wonderful. Uh, I did. I love just it. Just a little. Just uh, a little. I still say it's it's an adaptation of an anime. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. it's only a slight cheat. I, I think it counts. I, I did run it by our Patreon uh, sponsor, so I didn't, oh, okay. so oh, didn't want to nice. just like run him off the road with it, but... Uh, uh, are we going to just keep doing I these I didn't mean to. I swear puns. to God, I didn't mean <laughs> oh, to. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's too late. It's happening now, and there's no turning back. So, All right. Well, before we get any crazier, let's hear those Dear God Be Quick reviews. Uh, and I want to start, uh, because we've all logged this on Letterboxd, and I think it's very fascinating how all of the stars fell. Uh, and so I'm going to start at the lowest and then work our way up. Uh, so, Alex Bohannon, tell yes. us what you thought of this film. Um, This movie was... I Okay. I sincerely tried to like this movie. I really did, but I just I got about halfway through and I'm like I really just don't like this movie. I uh, I found so the good things. I really loved the stylistic influences of the world. I loved how this was like watching, um, you know, Mario Kart 64 live action. I really do like that kind of that super bubble bubble gum like bubble gum puke on the screen it's kind of it's really cool but but after a while i realized that this film is more style than substance in a lot of ways and that it just ri- tries to ride that train into the station and, and that's where it couldn't really complete with me um i felt like the plot at times is extremely nonsensical um i felt like the acting was stiff especially with the cgi um and that there was 
it felt like the actors were honestly just kind of floating at times. Like there wasn't able to have like this interaction with the quote real world. Uh, like the scene where they're riding through the, like when they go, to, they get to that big corporation at the beginning of the riding yeah. through, it literally feels like a giant cartoon the yeah, entire time. No, I, and I understand that that's part of the aesthetic and the appeal and some of these choices are stylistic for a reason to get into um, a f- like, how do you convey that this movie is like really, um, not even can't even really exist in reality i like this vision of the future that was fueled by the 70s on acid like i really like that um it's just i I don't know there are too many pieces that didn't work it was long this movie was too long by half in at least um you know 30 to 40 minutes too long um i can't imagine a child sitting through this film this movie is then just not made for children it's made for adults um which is i mean I, I I don't know. I just I just didn't have a feel for it. Didn't like it. Um, it, it it was fine. It just didn't captivate my attention after I realized that this bubblegum pop aesthetic is all that is really driving interest in this movie. All right, there you go. Thank you for those thoughts, Alex. Caleb Masters, next up on the uh, the star rankings, tell us what you thought of Speed Racer. Yeah, I gave it three and a half, and uh, you know, I I saw it when it was in theaters, so ages ago, I hadn't seen it since, and I had a good time. Uh, I think Alex is right uh, about the le- definitely about the length. It was too long. Yeah, there was a, there, when I was watching it last night, I had something I had to be at, and I was like, this is about oh hey, this is not close to being done. That's a problem. Um, so I had to split you know my viewing in half, but uh, you know, it was a long movie. There. The, the CGI hasn't aged super well. Not at all. Um, so that's a problem. Uh, unfortunately, they just didn't, I don't think it had quite the budget it needed to, to make the timeless CGI. And in the same way that you know a lot of '90s CGI um, films that they they looked cool at the time because this movie did look very cool at the time. It just it's too cartoony and it looks wonky. But uh, so I'm being really mean up front because I actually enjoyed it, but it was too long. And I think Alex poses a really great question about who is this movie for? And I want that something going into this film. I mean, with everyone's analysis and reviews, who is this movie really for? Uh, is, is, a, is a really important question because I don't think it has um, I really don't think it has a, a rock solid audience that said I did enjoy like the really hyper con- uh, uh, kinetic style uh, that uh, has been a little more common since um, and I know Dalton mentioned uh, you know kind of off the air this movie was a little ahead of its time and that I actually agree with I think this is a movie that had it come out I mean it's still I mean the hyper kineticness of it like just the wham pow wow fast things cut scene almost it's 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 almost hard to follow like how fast things get thrown at you the way that the transitions ha- how fast the transitions happen which was a, which which by the way was a uh, a lot of the people who didn't like this movie they lobbed the same criticism at Scott Pilgrim vs. the World which is another movie I like so I think this is definitely a movie that's going to be that is better suited for younger generations in that sense i think it's at least 10 years ahead of its time um i enjoyed the cast yeah there is some some stiffness to it but they're also playing caricatures based out of that anime which if you haven't watched the anime they're also very stiff yeah so i mean i don't really want to give the the actors too much slack uh flack for that and i'm not even sure how much the wachowskis I, I'm, I'm interested to see what were who called the shots on that? Because it does. I mean, when you, when John Goodman is coming across as kind of wooden, or Matthew Fox is coming across as kind of dry, it's like that's yeah strange yeah and the ch- the child actors i literally had oh. problems understanding what they said I, like i couldn't understand what they said at times and um, that's yeah. kind of a issue i didn't know? like i didn't like the comedic relief for that kid it was it was way too wonky for me 
way yeah. too wonky I'm, for me. And I'm even talking about the flashbacks. Like, the the scene where that girl is affecting that British accent, it's like, I can't yeah. understand what you're saying. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm thinking about, like, the chimp and the boy and all that stuff oh, like that. Yeah, that uh, too. But that was, it was really weird. And, uh, yeah, I, I lost me. Cut that stuff out to shave time off. Um, I, And but, well, my last criticism is just going to be that this message, while I agree with a lot of the sentiments of this film, it's the same criticism I lobbed at Tomorrowland, which is another movie. I was like, God, I love what you're saying so much, but we're not morons. Don't beat us. Yes, corporations are evil. We get it. Oh, really? No, guys. We get it. We understand. The movie, like, constantly is barraging you and, like, telling you, yes, this is how evil. I'm like, we, we understand. They're a snake in the grass. Like, I think, I thought it was a little much. Um, but there's a fun movie here. Um, I think it is one of the, one of the, if not the best adaptation of an anime we've had to date. Uh, and I do think there's, I mean, it's a fun ride. I, I do have, I, I, did, I did have a good time watching it. All right. Thank you very much, Mr. Caleb Masters. All right. Four stars, Dalton Stewart. Tell us why. Pearls before swine. <laughs> you guys are Philistines. This, I, so I also saw this movie uh, in its uh, initial theatrical run, uh, and that's the only other time I've seen it. And I honestly didn't really remember much about it. I remembered thinking it was too long in theaters. Um, I adored this. This was a gem. This is an unsung I'm not going to say masterpiece, but it is an unsung gem. It this this movie was derided when it came out. And I think unfairly, I think there's a lot of really interesting stuff here. Yes, it is at least 20 minutes if not 30 to 40 minutes too long and there's a lot here that could have stayed on the cutting room floor um but i i think it's great i i really like legitimately i'm not being silly i like this a lot i cried no less than three times cried? which is weird yeah, yeah when, i cried oh, yeah. when did you okay what movie were we watching um no less than three times i cried this movie has real pathos i i think it has real emotional stakes that i'm invested in um, I care about this character, which again, I don't give a shit about Speed Racer. Like as a institution, as a franchise, I have no interest in it whatsoever. And I became legitimately invested in this character. Okay, I, I, I admittedly, I really dug the set, and it has such a Saturday morning cartoon vibe, which I know was going for. I really dug that dynamic specifically between Speed Racer and Racer X. That was the most Saturday morning cartoon, and I, I think I hear what you're saying now with the, hum- the, the pathos to that little relationship. It, yeah, felt, I, I, it felt like something I would used to watch on TV well, as it's a not, kid. You it's know? not it's just a, his relationship with Racer X. It's his whole journey of figuring out mm-hmm. why he's doing this, why he is raging against the machine so hard. Like, Am I really doing this for anything other than just to do it? Uh, and I, I loved that aspect of this film. Yeah, it's it's a little wonky. I, I, I liked the little kid. I thought the little kid was great. Uh, he amused me endlessly, and I normally, um, you know, I'm mixed to negative on children in films. Uh, I liked the chimp. I liked John Goodman. <laughs> I liked Susan Sarandon. I loved Christina Ricci. Uh, I loved Matthew Fox. Um, I, I liked Emil Hirsch a lot. I yeah. miss him. I want him to do more stuff. I was a big fan of this movie. I, I again, as Caleb mentioned, I think it was way ahead of its time. I think that's part of why it didn't do very well. Um, I, I think it's really interesting. Uh, I think that is part of the problem. Uh, and I think a lot of movies uh, with similar tones and themes have run into this where I, I think the Wachowskis weren't quite sure who they were making this for, uh, other than themselves, um, which is good. Uh, I, I think if we're going to make art, we should make it for ourselves, especially when you're making within the system. I'm always amused by studio films that are railing against uh, corporate capitalism. 
even though those are some of my very favorite films of all time, I always think it's a little silly. Um, yeah, whenever you have Motorola walkie-talkies just mm-hmm. across your screen, yeah. just yep. like, down with the man, two thumbs down. Brought to you by Motorola. Yeah. <laughs> um, snap into a Slim Jim. I, yeah, I I don't know who this is for. This podcast is brought to you by Monster Energy. Pop open a can, bro. Sell uh, out. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Again, I, I'm with Caleb and Alex. I, I don't really know who this movie was for other than me and the Wachowskis, because I really liked it. <laughs> Um, it did it for me. They, uh, they called you. They had you on. They knew young Dalton. They knew older Dalton would like it, so they made it specifically for you. They did. Uh, 17-year-old Dalton, uh, less so. 18, however old I was when this came out. Uh, but uh, 25-year-old Dalton loved this movie. Um, I think it's great. I, I leg- Again, I'm not like being silly. Uh, this is not. There's not a hint of irony to this evaluation. I, I think this is a legitimately underrated film, and I think... If you have some preconceived notions about this movie, I would say check them out the door and give it one more shot. Thank you, Dalton. Um, I am I'm going to echo Dalton a lot. Uh, he's not going to say it. I will. I do think this film is a masterpiece in a lot of ways. Um, I think you know this is a movie that was, as you guys have mentioned uh, already, t- uh, definitely ahead of its time. I, I think it's very good. I have uh, very few major criticisms. Spritel and Chim Chim. Yeah, we could have cut some of that stuff. I mean, it's easily as good as Matrix Reloaded. Yeah. I, I mean. I, 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 that's a different conversation. Um, I think, you know... That, I'm just keeping it within their filmography. Yeah. Uh, I, I I don't have... I think Trixie could have done more. I, I feel like she gets her legs cut out from under her. I could, yeah. have, done I could have definitely could have done and more I don't Trixie. know if... I feel like there was more for her. It just kind of got cut. Um, but I think it's bold. I think the Wachowskis are very deliberate in uh, all of their decisions here. I think, you know, that cartoon aesthetic is extremely deliberate. It's exactly what they're trying to do. Um, I think the cast is, you know, doing exactly what they're, you know, wanting them to do. I think everyone is having a good time. I think that, you know, the performances, while they're phoned in, uh, they do have this element of sincerity to them, and that plays into the pathos that uh, Dalton mentioned. I, I also teared up during the film, uh, especially in the, I think it's the last race is where it got me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Big time. Oh, and I, I think that's a good point that you, you guys both raised, though, because, I mean, thinking back again, if we're going to talk about nostalgia, which I'm going to hint on my analysis, you know, like... Uh, like Saturday morning cartoons were caricatured, like it was very surface level, like kind of fan- those family connections. Um, like in your group, I just wrote a piece this week on Digimon, which I was revisiting and I shed several tears over because of dynamics like that. It's like surface level, but you have a, gr- a group of like really great character dynamics in there, and that's all it takes, even if it feels wooden or stilted. Like it's the believability and like that family that I think Speed Racer holds together. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's a good point, Caleb. I think that uh, one of the things that the Wachowskis were really trying to do here was bring anime to life, and I think that they did their best to do that um they're utilizing a lot of very new technology at the time the way they're filming uh they're filming on three different layers to extend the depth of field so they're doing some really unique stuff there which plays to what kayla was talking about the visual uh aesthetic of the movie but i think and this is going to play into a larger point i think this is a movie that if you turn off the dialogue and just look at the music and you listen to the music and the visuals uh there's a lot of very interesting stuff going on and while that seems counterintuitive um, that's the same tactic utilized by the Cahiers du Cinema writers in France, uh, which really started the conversation of film being an art formed. Uh, when they looked at the American film that they couldn't understand uh, because of the language barriers, and they began to appreciate it for the visual medium, which leads us into the auteur theory, which leads us into a uh, you know legitimizing film as an art form at an academic level. And I think what the Wachowski sisters have done here is is brilliant in many ways. And so for that, I really do like this movie. Um, so there you go, dear listener. You've heard our thoughts, uh, and we want to know what you think about Speed Racer. And a little later, uh, we'll tell you exactly how you can participate in that conversation. Uh, but first, guys, I think it's time for us to play the game. It's time to play the game. 
And this week's game is Desired Live Action Cartoon Movies. Uh, that's right, Desired Live Action Cartoon Movies brought to you by Speed Racer. Speed Racer. Go. Is that new app, Speed Racer Go, Dalton? That's, yes. Speed Racer Go. I think that's You turn it on of... in your car and you just try to race the other oh, cars. Oh, <laughs> now we're talking. It just flashes color. Yeah, your boy is into it and, and now. Then, and then you turn on the Mad Max Fury Road soundtrack in the background. Oh, yeah. witness me. Oh, my God. <laughs> you just pushed all of Dalton's buttons in like one sentence. That's what we do here. <laughs> Correct. All right. Correct. Well, Caleb Masters, why don't you tell us about the desired live-action cartoon movies you want to see. Yeah, so the first one's going to be a one-two combo. I think, uh, firstly, uh, uh, the, the Avatar The Last Airbender would make a great live-action adaptation. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Wouldn't it, guys? Wouldn't that be wonderful if they I, made a movie about that that beloved an, uh, anim, oh, uh, American anime series? I, oh, I think no. so. Um, uh, but no, but seriously, let's... Let's get a different... Okay, two options. Either I want them to just ignore that ever... I mean, either way, ignore the one that happened, happened, and remake it afresh. Give it to a competent filmmaker. Um, and make sure there's, like, the, the creators of the show have, like, some sort of, like, sign-off on the script and things like that. Because, I don't know, that movie, guys, was a freaking train wreck. But mostly because I want a sequel... I want both, but I also want a sequel to The Legend of Korra, which is, I'm going to sing praises all day long, is one of the best things, best American cartoons of the last decade, has a, has a, has a female star, we're into badass women right now in pop culture, so let's bring it to the forefront studios, you get that, you get that family dynamic that, that the show is known for with the Team Avatar stuff, um, and what's really great is they're tackling... They are tackling like real issues. They're they're tackling uh, prejudice, racism. Uh, they're they're like the the spirituality of uh, like the danger of spirituality and extremism. Lots of really cool stuff that I think kids can re- kids. You know, it's it's good to introduce kids too, but I think adults will really appreciate. It. So I want to see a live action adaptation of Legend of Korra, especially. Secondly, um, I don't. I'm, I was chewing on how to do this, but I, I don't. I just love the the, the cartoon so much. I want to find a way for it to work. I want to see gargoyles on the big screen. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, another series that had a really great again like family dynamic and like all the characters, men, women, they were all well written and they, they 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 went on adventures and they were just kind of like people at a time in the same way Captain America was. So I think there's a really good story there. Um, and guys, that is one of the best cartoons from the 90s like it's it's an unsung hero of 90s cartoons uh, i think a lot of times gets overlooked by like a lot of the nickelodeon and uh, mm-hmm. cartoon network stuff um and lastly dovetail uh with cartoon network uh into dexter's lab um because Ooh. because i mean that could good make pick. that could be like a good like just like almost indiana jones style like just procedural science you know like just make like a like an hour and a half long not, not don't go too long don't do two and a half don't watch house us give us a 90 minute uh, Dexter's Lab, like live action, that could be tons of fun. If even if it's just a TV movie, I think there's there's a lot of possibilities there. Um, uh, I would say Samurai Jack, but then I realized that uh, that is flawless and perfect in every way in its animated form. So I don't want them to fuck that up. Uh, that was I, I had the same thing, Caleb. I was like, oh, Samurai Jack, and I was like, no, this it's perfect as is. It it actually works best it, in animated yeah, form. Yeah, it, it, like like to to if you moved it into a different media, it just would not be. As yeah, it doesn't work quite as well. All right, Miss Alexandra Bohannon, what are your picks? Well, I'm going to throw out one that I know has probably been talked about a lot at Studio Warner Brothers, and that's Teen Titans movie. Yeah. Um, I want that as a live-action movie. Um, I don't want anyone that has even remotely uh, sneezed upon Zack Snyder to touch this movie. <laughs> um, anyone that's been in a 50-foot radius of that man should not touch that property um, because I know it would just be in 
in oh indefensible. What does Zack Snyder think about teenagers, guys? Find out. Oh God, yeah, because that was one of my favorite cartoons growing up. Um, Static Shock again would be a great mm. movie, especially since we don't get enough. Uh, bl- I mean, we're gonna get Black Panther from Marvel, um, and we we don't really get enough uh, black superheroes going on. And Static Shock is fun, and he's canon, and he's just a great. He's a blast. Well, he really the, is. Those those two are both good picks because they're both technically in that DC animated universe that everyone loves. And what's really cool about those is they're both more influenced by anime which is a good fit for the marathon yes. uh, particular teen titans yeah absolutely i'm also gonna say um one punch man which uh that is a great show um basically it's an anime that i don't know it probably is going to have a live action adaptation any day now but um it's about a man who gets bored of being a superhero because he can kill anything by just punching it once and it's influenced by dragon ball z and pretty much every boy anime that's ever existed and it's hilarious it's, and amazingly fun it's the scream version of dragon yes, ball z it is exactly that that so if you like scream dalton stewart and if you like dragon ball z <laughs> you should watch this show it's hilarious it's like a s- massive satire of dragon ball z the japanese aren't funny we all know that okay all right moving right along um one more for you i'm gonna also i'm gonna pick steven universe that show is touching and moving and powerful it'll make you cry just anytime so i'd love to see a, a really well done um live live action version of it with rebecca sugar the show's creator directing or at least steering it somehow so that it just doesn't get really um effed up in terms of showing its showing its same-sex uh relationships and and all of that fun stuff lots of cool um ladies doing awesome things and um lots of feelings explored in that show so that would be really excellent to be seen on a big screen live action style very good very good mr dalton stewart how many anime-influenced live-action films are you going to recommend? One. Um, I believe I've mentioned this on the show before. I like Cowboy Bebop uh, quite a bit. It's the only anime that I actually like really appreciate. Um, and a live-action version has been in the works for many, 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 many years now. Uh, at one point, uh, Keanu Reeves was attached, uh, which feels like good casting 10 years ago. Um, now he's going into his old man action phase and it feels like a uh, bad casting, but uh, I'd be into that movie still. I think it'd be pretty dope. Uh, but no, I'm going to keep it strictly in the realm of nineties, uh, uh, Nicktoons. Um, first up, what went wrong in the lab? David Cronenberg presents cat dog. Oh no. <laughs> oh, that's terrifying. Next. It's always too quiet down on the farm. David Lynch's courage. The coward. Yes. Oh my oh, god! And finally, a trip to inside the mind of madness. Werner Herzog's Rocco's Martin Life. <laughs> Holy shit, Dalton! I think you Thank nailed you. it. Like Thank all of you. them. Yeah, we can't follow that. I, I don't can't. Know. I don't know. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> all Walking right. out. Yep, we're done. We'll see y'all next week. Oh, uh, anyway. Uh, my picks, uh, I went down my own nostalgia trail. I want to see a live-action anthology film uh, of the Animaniacs. I was thinking yeah, that, too, fun. but I had no idea how it worked. That's yeah, it, yeah. I mean, it, you'd have to do all that CGI kind of stuff, you know, like we've seen Jungle Book or whatever with some live-action. But, you know, you get like a David Strait Aaron to play the psychologist, you know, or whatever. Uh, you bring in Scarlett Johansson as the nurse, right? And then you just do the CGI with the others, but you present in a live action setting. That would be a great spoof. I mean, because we haven't had a spoof of that nature on Hollywood specifically, like Animaniacs yeah. did. That'd be that'd be perfect for right now. Oh yeah, and you get the good feathers. You get uh, Cindy and their dog. I can't think of the dog. Uh, good idea, bad idea of Mr. Skeleton. I mean, 
Hello, and, and then and nurse. Then, <laughs> and, and, see, and this is the perfect way to set up a, a, a crossover universe that studios love so much because you have a Pinky and the Brain cameo to oh, spin yeah. off of their own movie, right? Oh, I want that so bad. I don't know, Brain. Um, <laughs> the same thing we do. That was terrible. That was yeah. a terrible. You gotta, I forgive you. You, you, you gotta get the. Uh, I gotta uh, get the the. Oh God! Uh, yeah, yeah, Susan Kane. Susan Kane, exactly. Oh, uh, jeez! Holy shit! This is not a film Worse podcast at all. Or Orson Welles. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah, you've got to get the. That was a terrible Orson Welles. Yeah. Is what I was going to say because that's yeah. all brain is is a really solid Orson yeah, Welles. Uh, the next one I want to see is uh, along the lines of the Nickelodeon stuff, and that's Freakazoid, the feature film. Dude, yes. I almost did that. Yeah, yes. <laughs> uh, just bonkers, wacky, insano. Edgar Wright. Let's let's go all <gasps> out there. Edgar Wright. And oh let's my kill God. that. Okay, these other two may be a little more obscure. I don't know if you guys watch these or not. The first one is Biker Mice from Mars. What? Did is you that ever a watch show? this? It was a cartoon this in the late eighties, early nineties. Okay. It was on Fox. Uh, there were these aliens. Obviously, they were they were giant, like six foot mice from Mars. From but, Mars, yeah. I think just kind of playing probably on that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles thing, that same idea. Um, but they 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 rode Harleys and they fought, you know, evil. You know? I'm so I'm, I'm kind of more into that than turtles. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, no, like, seriously. That more at my street. Yeah. And the other one is more mutated uh, sea creatures and that is Street Shark. Yes! Oh, how did I know you were going to say the Street movies, Sharks? The show, yes. That show. <laughs> street are you, Sharks? Are you aware of oh, all of the uh, the made up uh, apparently there was this whole thing where this guy just like fabricated all this stuff about the series on Wikipedia. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's like a whole That's thing. Awesome. Like yes. Matt Singer this did this whole write-up about I, the, 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 I'm going to Google That was this. the thing. I, like they had the coolest toys because they all had rollerblades. Yeah, that was again, they all skated but they were all mutated. There's a Hammerhead, a Great White, I can't remember the other two, a Tiger Shark I think and there's a fourth. There were four of them, though. Just I think the fourth one was a whale shark, maybe? Maybe. It was yeah. a terrible show. Oh, man. But, uh, but yeah, it the was, imagery, it was the imagery. Yeah, the I imagery. Mean, is, it's, it's horrifying we, to look yeah. upon. Listen, if we can get Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, two of them on the big screen, guys, I think Street Shark just has a chance. Yes, it does. Oh, my gosh. I I had to watch this. All this art mm. looks so familiar. Mm, yeah. There was a, another uh, similar uh, TMNT ripoff with uh, Dinosaur Men, I believe. Uh, yeah. It was about the same time. That makes sense. Uh, anyway, so those are our choices. I thought that was a lot of fun. You guys had some great ideas. But, dear listener, we want to hear uh, your choices. Now, over the last couple of weeks, we've ran some polls on Twitter to correspond with our game. Uh, you've been playing along. Uh, most of you agreed that Supernatural is the most confusing uh, fandom of why people like that. Yeah. Uh, and we, I don't think, can argue with you on that. Uh, no. So, good call, Twitter. Dalton, can you tell them where they can find that? Absolutely, Arthur. Uh, you can find the Good Trash Media Network on Twitter at good underscore trash. Uh, again, that is the entire Good Trash Media Network, not just uh, the Good Trash Honorcast. So if you are wanting to stay up with our shows, ask about our shows, uh, tell me that I am racist for insinuating the Japanese are not funny, um, ask me and Arthur when uh, the next People's History is coming up, who we're going to be interviewing. Uh, if you want to ask Caleb what's coming up next on Back to the Movies, anything like that, you once again can do that on Twitter at good underscore trash. Or if you want to ask about that juicy Loot Crate promo code. Ooh, juicy. Loot Crate, not just a fake sponsor anymore. <laughs> Dreams do come true. You know, Indeed. if you wish hard enough, I, I had it on my dream board for four years, and if you just want it bad enough, sometimes good things can happen to bad people. <laughs> As Dalton is, as I am living proof again. of, yeah, yeah. You're, you're welcome, Dalton. <laughs> Thank you, Dalton. You're well. And if Caleb works his his tiny little ass off, sometimes good things happen. It's true. Yes, the manpower of Caleb and Dalton's just unending barrage of whatever he is. I keep him motivated. Yes, <laughs> Caleb. Have you, have you, have you, have, are, we, are we sponsored by Luke Crate yet? Are, are we sponsored by Luke Crate yet? Hey, Caleb. Are we sponsored by Luke Crate yet? <laughs> 
Well, thank you very much, Dalton Stewart. Miss Alex Bohannon, there are a couple of other means of social media by which the listener can connect with us. Can you tell us what those are? Sure thing, Arthur. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash good trash media. You can find us on Instagram also at good trash media. And you can find us at Patreon at patreon.com forward slash GTM. Thanks for all of that, gang. Now we're prepping Speed Racer for the analysis table. But before we get down to business, we need to hear a word from our sponsors at Loot Crate. Alex here. I just wanted to take a second and tell you about Loot Crate. And what a better timing than our anime marathon to talk about Loot Anime. Loot Anime is a partnership between Loot Crate and Crunchyroll. Like the Core Crate, each month you features a different theme and you'll get four to six specially curated items from your favorite anime and mangas. It's like an anime convention in your mailbox. This month's theme is Demi-Human and features exclusive items from One Punch Man, Bleach, and Tokyo Ghoul, and more. These products have a value of over $60, but Loot Anime gives it to you for just $24.95. And we're going to make it even cheaper. If you sign up at lootcrate.com forward slash good trash. And when you select the loot anime crate, use code good trash. One word when you check out and you'll save $3 loot anime, your monthly mystery subscription box featuring your favorite anime and manga. All right, guys, now let's do what we came to do. Let's get down to business. Caleb Masters, what's your analysis? All right, so this week, uh, it's going to be a couple weeks after this conversation had, the way our recording schedule works out, but we had a really interesting conversation with Daniel Austin that I thought was worthy of us actually talking about on the show, and he posed the question, he tweeted out, uh, after seeing the remake of Ben-Hur, he said, I don't understand remakes. There's not a single remake where I said, yeah, they made it right this time. Obviously, they got it right the first time for people to want to see the remake. It's a, it, it, if a shitty movie got a remake, no one would see it. And we had, there was a whole exchange, and I think uh, Twitter, firstly, people, to have the most informed, best conversation possible, Twitter is not the most ideal platform, but I thought we had a very good, healthy discussion, but I wanted to indre- address it on the show. I might have di- dogpiled on him pretty quickly. Well, you know. Uh, <laughs> so, sorry, Daniel. No, no, I, I think, but, but here's the thing. I think Daniel was, at, was begging a very viable question that every avid filmgoer should be asking in 2016. Has Hollywood run out of ideas? Isn't everything a remake, a reboot, or an adaptation of some sort of popular franchise? Hasn't it always been? Well, I'm glad you asked, but let's be honest here. Let's be honest, good trash. All of us. In the last, even six months, I said six months, even like three months alone, we've talked about Transformers, Fast Five, Bewitched. Uh, We did a really great interview with the filmmakers behind Wicked Love, which was a locally Oklahoma-produced film, but even that was an adaptation of a Shakespeare story, Macbeth. Uh, We did Watchmen. And I'm back to the movies. I mean, me and Arthur have been talking about, I mean, this whole summer is an adaptation of something. Uh, so, you know. It, I would point you towards uh, The Adventures of Robin Hood and literally hundreds of Tarzan movies from the 1930s all me, the way up into the she, 1960s. She, 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 let me, let me, let me that, analyze here, okay? Okay. But what about movies like Speed Racer? Um. There was some mixed consensus here, but I'd say overall we would say this is a this is a lot better than a lot of the, th- the films that are coming out today. I, I liked it enough. Yeah, I, I mean, get- we go from masterpiece all the way to interesting but d- uh, dismal. Yeah. I believe was the best way I could surmise your your reaction, Alex. Right. It's interesting it's, but bad. But, but but either way, I think overall we're a little warmer on this than a lot of films that have come out in this last summer. We say this mm-hmm. is probably a pretty solid uh, adaptation. Um, 
Uh, it brought, and it's actually uh, an adaptation of the animated series, which within itself, by the way, was an adaptation of a manga um, that was popular during the 60s and 70s. It was almost, and in a weird way, again, as we said in our reviews, this, the film was almost, it almost <laughs> it was too cutting edge. It was too ahead of its time for the way, for its kind of sensibilities with the hyperkinetic, really fast transitions and all that was a little too cutting edge but uh it's as if uh people working in hollywood aka uh, the wachowskis thought of a new angle to bring to the story that would allow it to work on the big screen it's pure creativity so i'm gonna ask the question again before i dive into my analysis kind of talking about adaptation uh is hollywood still out of ideas so i'm gonna crack this open by looking at uh the adaptation theory as it applies to media uh one and check the definition from the oxford english dictionary that defines uh, adaptation theory and media as an altered or omitted version of a text or a musical composition play etc one adapted for filming broadcasting or production on a stage from a novel or similar literary source now, Dalton, to your point, humans have a long history of adap- adapting texts into different forms. Historical events and spoken legends were the inspirations for paintings, sculptures, plays, written tales, and more recently, novels, comic books, and video games. I would point you toward uh, Homer's The Iliad, uh, based on a real war that was really happening, or really happened, uh, and then, you know, injected <laughs> with literally, literally, he put superheroes in the real war that really happened. We got the Iliad starring Brad Pitt. That's all that matters, and I was and I still freaking love that movie. It's pretty dope movie. I love actually. that movie. Yeah. Um, now, if you look back uh, into the depths of film history, like as you say, uh, we can see that cinematic adaptations of literary and theatrical text are just as old as the medium medium of cinema themselves. We've been doing it forever. Forever. I mean, let's look at the highest grossing, the unadjusted for inflation, highest grossing film of all time. It's still. Gone with the Wind. Which was based on a... 1936 novel. Boom. Uh, so, as... Oh, long- what about uh, one of the other uh, highest grossing movies of all time, uh, not adjusted for inflation, The Wizard of Oz? Was it, What was that based it on? It was uh, based off of a book also, my oh, friend. Oh, and when, what year did those movies both come out? 1939. Oh, so was 1939 the year we all became sellouts? You guys are all fucking idiots. I'm sorry. I'm tired of people being like, oh, super... We just... We go in cycles. Sometimes it's Western. Sometimes it's historical drama. Sometimes it's swords and sandals. But we do this... All the right. time, right? So re- remakes is, is another way uh, for for us to look at adaptation, and I, I totally agree. Magnificent with you. Seven coming uh, to you soon was based on the Magnificent Seven, which was based, based on, on Seven, Seven Samurai, Samurai, which was inspi- he- heavily inspired by American westerns. So it's just yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's an Ouroboros. It's a snake yeah. eating its own tail, man. Exactly. So as long as screen adaptations have existed, there've always been a te- uh, there's always been a tension between literature and film. Historically speaking, you know, writers don't really like it when people mess with their stuff. Uh, it's changing a little bit, but it's you know it's it's still happening. Uh, Leo T- uh, Tolstoy, for example, considered film a direct attack on the methods of literary art. While Virginia Woolf felt that cinema and literary adaptations in particular were responsible for the moral decline and vulgarization of modern society. Let's go with some more. Those are, those are some old school examples. Look at, let's look at something slightly more re- recent that might hit closer to home with the passing of Gene Wilder this last week. Uh, Rowan Dow hated, hated, despised Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Like hated it so much that he put it in his will that they would not make a sequel. They would not ad- adapt the sequel, The Great Glass Elevator. Hated. Um, or uh, Roald Dahl was wrong. Well, I agree. I agree. And that's Sorry. I, I agree. I agree. We're getting, we're getting there. He, he, he was wrong because that's a great movie. Uh, Alan Moore, uh, to this day, refuses to be associated with anything based on any of his works. He is and, sometimes right about that. Uh, and in the same way, our generation, in a lot of way, has taken ownership of these properties with like uh, fan fiction. And, uh, you know, we, we all feel ownership. Star Wars is another one where we didn't write it, but we've invested so much in it. We 
we feel as if we have ownership yeah, to it in the same where way. Where every time do. George Lucas tweaked it, we we took it as a personal affront to right. our sensibilities. Yes, exactly. Which is why you get how you where you hear things people say stuff like that's not my Batman or George Lucas is ruining Star Wars. So this is this is adaptation. Yeah, this is adaptation. People are going to change things. Uh, now, a cultural critic and literary scholar uh, from from Yale, Thomas uh, Thomas Leash, uh, suggested that Hollywood and the entertainment industry has entered into an era of post literary adapt adaptation in which non-literary and sometimes non-narrative sources are adapted into storylines for future films and other forms of media. So he's, of course, talking about video games. He's talking about board games. He's talking about uh, adapting the idea of a brand, mm-hmm. uh, which is something we see a lot of. Uh, now, Theme park rides. Theme park rides. Yeah, he mentioned that Pirates of the Caribbean was one of his prime examples like in, in his essay. Uh, but building uh, on an established uh, tradition of mining from superhero comics and graphic novel mediums for inspiration, film companies have built successful franchises based on video games like Resident Evil and Silent Hill, uh, Battleship, all that stuff. Uh, now, when content... Now, here's the thing, though, about adaptation. When content undergoes adaptation for film specifically... Now, this can go anyway in any, in any media... But we're talking about film here, and we are the good trash genre cast. So we're going to talk. We're going to highlight film specifically. When it is adapted to film, whatever you're adapting is going to be subject to a variety of forces and factors, which are dictated by the nature of the source text. One, two, the reason for adapting the text, the medium, the market, and lastly, the culture into which it's adapted. That last one's very important, and I think it's the most relevant to Speed Racer. Large novels, for example, have traditionally undergone a process of compression in order to fit the two-hour runtime film format Mm -hmm. of the film. Uh, Short stories have required extra uh, expansion. Uh, You get more stuff. You write in new things uh, to fill in the runtime. Some stories need to change their characteristics in order to survive in the new new environment. Hence, uh, great adaptation. Uh, Tyrion Lannister from Game of Thrones. You do not want to see that guy's book self on the big screen because he's hideous. Uh, Just walking around without a nose. With no nose and a black eye and yeah he's got scars yeah so thus yes we give him scars but he's still a pretty dwarf you know um mm, yeah he is Whew. uh so that, uh, uh, yes uh so some stories need to change their characteristics in order to survive the new environment another example would be uh the office uh that is adapted from the british office mm-hmm. in america we need the american sensibilities to connect with american audiences now is that saying but but the american office went on to to become its very own thing very unique very set apart and it's fresh. I think over. Uh, we'd, 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 I think most of us would argue that's a fresh. So is Hollywood running out of ideas? Now to, to kind of wrap up the conversation, uh, you know, for an adaptation to be successful, you're going to have to become something altogether new that is n- better fit for the media you're adapting to. And most importantly, I think this is what uh, we're at, we're at today. Um, is it? needs to be relevant in the new era of time in which it's being adapted. Well, I think the one of the best examples of this, and this is one I threw out there uh, to uh, Daniel Aaron Austin, um, people got um, their bollocks all in a twist when uh, they remade The Thing uh, in 2014, whenever that was, uh, and I was stunned how many people didn't know that 1982's The Thing is a remake of The Thing from Another World, uh, the Howard Hawks film, and I, people literally didn't know that, and I was stunned. And I think that's a great example of the Thing in 82 really was a film for its time, did something different, and then the thing that came out in 2014, not so much. Well, and the whole thing that kicked off this thing was Ben-Hur is a remake. 
The yeah. 1958 film, or whenever, is a remake of a 20s silent film, yeah. which is the adaptation of a novel. Right. Yeah. Well, and again, it, it goes back into that whole weird fan culture we've developed, but it's like, whatever your version of that thing is, that's the definitive version. Exactly. Anyone who changes it, it's going to be different, which is, which, which again, I think is, is missed opportunity for us as avid film goers. Like, you want those stories of, of those characters that you love so much to be able to be passed down to a, to, to, to the next generation. And for that to happen, things have to change uh, to, to better fit in uh, the, the, the media that you're telling the story in, and also so um, the group of people you're telling it to, it's the, it's the reason we can't ever get video games adaptations right. It's because people who are making them generally don't understand why the video game is cool in the first place. But I want to uh, end the conversation by saying that Speed Racer is an adaptation that I think is ahead of its time. Uh, it was such a fresh take on the style of the original manga and TV series that people weren't ready for it. But... I think it's a, still a great example for ha- uh, of how talented filmmakers working within the studio system can bring a fresh take on an age-old franchise uh, from a totally different era. Because, guys, that, that cartoon is not very good. It's not very good. Uh, at least I don't think so. Uh, it might have been at the time. Um, but that's why we need adaptation. And I think this is fresh. It's new. It doesn't feel like it's just ripping right off the old thing. And it's also uh, doing its own thing. So adaptations are necessary. Remakes are necessary for us to con- for film and all stories to survive. It, it, we might not always like it. And we might get bored. And occasionally we might get weird things like Watchmen. There's too loyal to the material. But we need, we need adaptations. Um, they're good for Hollywood. They're good for us as viewers. And uh, we should just be a little more inclined. They're good for our collective consciousness. Yes. Yeah. Very, very good, Caleb. I agree. I think adaptations are very important and necessary at times. Um, Dalton Stewart, why don't you regale us with your analysis? So this whole movie's uh, central narrative kicks off when um, Royland, Roland, Royalton, Royalton, when Royalton shows up at the racer home and is like, hey, you young buck, full of promise and talent, let me whisk you away and give you all the money you could ever want so you can uh, make all of your dreams come true. In 1997, the Wachowskis, uh, then brothers, uh, had just uh, been hammering away at the screenplay for The Matrix for years. They had just finished this movie called Bound that is super dope. Uh, It did okay. Uh, It was pretty well received critically and made a little bit of money. Uh, And they got with Warner Brothers, and Warner Brothers said, hey, we will let you make this thing. They said, can we have all of your money, please? And they said no. So the Wachowskis looked at each other and said, fuck it, let's take all the money they just gave us and make the first 15 minutes of the movie and see what they say. Uh, At least that is the legend, because Hollywood is nothing but a legend factory. Um, uh, So that's, again, the tale of what happened, is they made the rooftop chase uh, with uh, Hugo Weaving and Carrie and Fisher, and they took it to Warner Brothers, and Warner Brothers pooped their pants and said, here's all the money, and then Warner Brothers continued to give the Wachowskis all of the fucking money for literally one, two, three, four five more films the last three of which did very poorly um and i really think with speed racer this again being the first film they made that was a flop um and again it didn't didn't even flop that badly it just i don't think it made its budget back but it didn't even do that badly uh, in the grand scheme of things it didn't do ben her bad um i think they're really kind of addressing how they feel about being artists working in a corporate system. Uh, Susan Sarandon, uh, Mama Racer, talks to Speed, and she's like, when you are driving, I feel like I'm watching somebody paint. I feel like I'm watching art happen. And you, and she encourages him, you cannot 
stop doing this. This is something that is important that you need to keep doing. And this whole movie is about Emil Hirsch's speed, trying to figure out why he is even bothering to drive cars in the first place. Is it just because his dad builds cars? Is it just because his brother did it? Why am I doing this? This thing that has literally almost ruined my family and ruined my life. Why do I keep doing this? And it is the pursuit of art. It is the pursuit of doing something transcendent, the pursuit of reaching out to people and touching people and not in a bad way, uh, reaching out to people and moving them and trying to speak to the larger human experience. And this whole time it is about fighting the system and not working within it, realizing when you can't work within it that you have to blow the whole thing up, which is a lot about what the, what the Matrix is about, uh, particularly the first film, but, I mean, it's carried throughout that entire trilogy. I mean, this is a theme, and, again, it carries over all the way over to Cloud Atlas. When you can't fix the system from, which, again, which we've also talked about on the show, um, when you cannot fix the system from within, you have to take it apart and start all over, which, again, is touched on in their film uh, that they produce, V for Vendetta. This is a, a theme that they are fascinated with. But what I think makes it interesting in Speed Racer is it's not about politics. It's not about social systems. It is specifically about commerce and art and the relationship therein, which I think is part of what makes Speed Racer so interesting because it is so explicitly not just about corporations and their evils, Caleb, but specifically the relationship between corporations and art. Because he talks about these corporations taking a, a nosedive when a racer wins or going up in stock when a racer wins. This shit happens because film studios are owned by multinational corporate conglomerations and their stock dives when they have a movie bomb. Sony um, is one of the first ones that comes to mind because they do so many other things besides make film, but they have a huge film and TV production wing and their stock has a lot to do with how their movies and TV shows are doing. Uh, and again, that's the first one that comes to mind just because they make so much stuff uh, that's not just film. Um, but, I mean, it's it's a very real thing. And I think it's, it, again, Caleb is right. It gets a little on the nose at times. I will agree with that. But I think it is really interesting to see two artists um, who were catapulted into the spotlight, who became two of the hottest filmmakers in the world because they made a film that no stop changed cinema, that literally changed the game. Uh, yes, a lot of the things they were doing had been done before. Yes, there's a lot of ideas in the Matrix that have literally been around since Plato. But they were the ones that packaged it in a way and made it within a corporate capitalist system and literally changed art. <laughs> Literally changed it. Yeah, they brought they brought it to the they bring that they brought that story to the mainstream. Not, well, I mean, it's Plato's concept of the cave. Yeah, well, exactly. It's the yeah. Of the I cave. mean, and it's just the and there's cave all kinds of redux. Buddhist philosophy in yeah. there. Yeah, I mean, there's there's no ideas that anybody who's taken a freshman philosophy course doesn't know. There's nothing in that movie that anybody else who was smoking a lot of dope and watching a lot of anime like the Wachowskis were doing in college. Everybody knew their influences because they wore them on their sleeve, but they were the ones that took those influences and wove them into a new tale. And they changed the game. And it's really fascinating to me to watch the journey of Speed, uh, who has this breakout hit on the track. Um, and again, it's a very emotional moment within the, the character's journey of like knowing he could have beat his brother's time and not beating it. Um, 
and then has all of this attention and all of these offers and chooses to say no. And I wonder, I really wonder if it's the Wachowskis talking about. And again, this is really getting into auteurist theory, uh, but they are nothing if they're not auteurs. I mean, they are people with a, a driven concept of what they want to make. They are stories that they want to tell. I mean, they if any American uh, filmmaking team uh, meets the criteria for auteur, it's them and the Coens. Like, any sibling auteur, those are the sibling auteurs. They just are. I, I think they very clearly fit that definition. Um, and it, it it's interesting to me to watch this movie and, and wonder maybe if the Wachowskis aren't asking, maybe we shouldn't have teamed up with Warner Brothers. Maybe we should have just done our own thing. Um, because this movie is all about Speed being independent and doing his own thing and not relying on corporate money. So it's really interesting to me. Um, but again, I, I think it's... Uh, a beautiful story and it's a beautiful tale to get out there that just because somebody tells you this is the way it is this is the way it always will be and you need to play by my rules if you want to do this thing that you love uh, and your idea of it and again it's the moment where he he tells speed royalton tells speed uh you are a child this is not about you driving your race car this is about money which is i'm sure what plenty of filmmakers have been told this isn't about your art this is about money uh, and I think it's a really powerful moment in this film, and I, it makes me wonder a lot about how the Wachowskis feel about their careers. Very good, very good. I like that analysis a lot. I'm glad you went with that meta-narrative reading. I'm, I'm glad you talked about the commerce of film. I don't think we talk about that. We really should enough. talk about it more. Uh, because it is a key, uh, uh, especially with this you know, the conversation about adaptation and Hollywood out of ideas, a lot of that comes back to the commerce of film, and so mm-hmm. I, I like those pairings a lot, guys. Yeah, and you brought up a good point in that Twitter conversation, too, that the bottom line... Hollywood still is a business to the studio bigwigs. Yeah. yeah. And and I think they get demonized for that a lot, and I don't think they should. I, I mean, I think there are plenty of times when they should be demonized for it, but, I mean, when Warner Brothers gave the Wachowskis $80 million, uh, literally these, these two kids from Chicago who had made one movie uh, about uh, a, a lesbian love story and stealing mob money, hey, give us $80 million to make this super weird science fiction movie where uh, two people in black trench coats shoot up a government building I said, no way. Are you kidding me? I'm not going to give you $80 million. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, so uh, good job, Warner Brothers. Like, sometimes studios do good things. All right, all right. Alex Bohannon, grace us with your wisdom. Sure. So we're going to talk today about visions of the future because I felt like this um, was one of the most positive visions of the future I've ever mm-hmm. seen depicted in film. And this kind of takes more from the Jetsons than it does from the Matrix, um, which I deeply appreciate it. I, I like how this is a stylized uh, version of what I anticipate the uh, 70s, uh, 70s citizens to think their future is going to turn into. Um, but I do think that there is a positive and a negative to this kind of um, sugar-coated pseudo-realism as we're seeing in this very uh, pop poppy bubblegummy movie that we're seeing because as Dalton was saying um, Speed Racer is constantly he thinks that what he's doing is about his art and it's about his craft and it's and for the rules of this world it's not about the art or the craft it's about the money and who has the money in the deepest pockets is going to be the one um, who rules the day which is um, has been the status quo in this in this world unbeknownst to Speed Racer and though that kind of concept brought up in me the con the ideas of uh utopian and anti-utopian novels whenever i think of 
anti-utopian literature i always think of uh huxley and orwell huxley the author of a brave new world and orwell the author of a 1984 both with really differing uh concepts as to what the future is going to look like uh 1984 showing us um how bleak terrible awful and nasty it can be when you have the government um completely controlling every aspect of your life life to the point where um, you can't think independently and you're told two plus two equals five. And then you have Huxley, whose who's approach to um, anti-utopian society is, is a little more uh, nef- um, sneaky and nefarious, but that's because um, he is operating within a pleasure-centered, focused, uh, utopian seeming paradise the phrase sugar-coated pseudo realism isn't talking about speed racer i took that from a an essay about 19 a brave new world whoa yeah because the interesting thing about a brave new world is that it's not it's the synthesis of not just soviet communism but american fordist capitalism it's yeah it's it's a really fascinating huxley's world is really interesting because it's all about uh it's it's not like a, a fascistic, authoritarian, uh, you know. Mm-mm. Oh my god, I forgot the word for fucking uh, dystopia. Yeah, uh, it's a it's a sexy drug dystopia, yeah. which honestly doesn't sound that bad. Yeah, I mean, it's it's using it's letting in the, the grand scheme of things, right? It's, it's letting the people distract themselves by uh, you know this kind of bacchanalian uh, type moral philosophy, yeah. being really driven by uh, drugs and sex and money and booze and liquor and boobs and all of these kinds of things that can distract <laughs> can distract you as Dalton is raising the roof over there. <laughs> that can distract just dancing just <laughs> that can distract you from uh, your your plans in the long run. So and, and I just kind of wanted while I don't think that uh, Speed Racer is a anti-utopian text by any means i do think that they're the conversation of using this kind of this blissfully capitalistic lifestyle where the point i mean we're making automobiles like it's i mean like in the air the golden years of the automobile industry of you know 50s 60s and 70s and so we're making these cars we're you know driving them you know we're we're racing just like how we when racing was more of a thing (laughs) it's still a thing to pockets of the population but um it it just the celebra- celebration of car um col- car culture uh kind of goes back to this american fordist capitalism which is used then to distract distract the person buying into it that their lives are actually being controlled by people with big pockets big money and bad intentions thank you thank you alex very good reading i like that quite a bit uh this week i'm going to talk about the grammar of film and how the wachowskis are adding some of their own ideas into the vernacular with speed racer Uh, now some listeners are probably questioning what exactly the grammar of film means Uh, it's a phrase we use that discusses how different cinematic techniques work together to tell a story so that the viewer's mind can put the narrative together in a reasonable fashion in this design, we would turn to the school of semiotics and the work of, Chris, uh, of critics such as Christian Metz, and in doing so, we begin to understand why shots are blocked, framed, set, and shot in certain ways. Uh, we also begin to understand how editing choices and montage work to fulfill the narrative uh, presented. An example of this is how when a character is shot from the ground upward, it gives the illusion that the character is strong or powerful uh, because the shot accents their height and size. Or you can flip that and have a shot from the head looking down on a character emphasize weakness or the character being outmatched. Uh, Typically, oftentimes, flashbacks are shot in sepia or maybe black and white. Uh, Either way, there's generally a filter 
uh, in the opening stretch of Speed Racer, there are three timelines intertwining, and they are all sought in, shot in similar ways. Uh, here we have to keep in mind the theorist Ferdinand de Saussure and the idea of the sign, which is something that represents or stands for something else. Uh, this is constructed from the signifier and the signified. Uh, this opening sequence is a sign which represents our interweaving memories and how they shape our now. Uh, in this sequence, we have Speed as a child, and we discover who he is. We also follow Rex's story and find out what he was about. These two events form a dialectic understanding of the now older Speed Racer. Uh, we have seen how the events of the past have shaped Speed's motivation and world viewpoint, and this is all done in the first 20 minutes or so of the film. Uh, the images we see on screen are the signifier. Uh, they are the concrete image that we see. The thematic interpretation that we leave with, family, loss, memories, pain, and self-realization, uh, these are the signified, and the two work together as the sign. What's fascinating about this, and it is something that the Wachowskis do later on in the film with Royal Tennis threatening Speed's family uh, after Speed declines the proposal, is that they refuse to change filters to delineate the pieces of the narrative. Oftentimes when you read a book, certain bits may be done in italics or in quotation marks or parentheses, and that is how these filters work in our mind. However, the Wachowskis' presentation is much more similar to the postmodern work of someone like Cormac McCarthy, who will refuse traditional narrative models to tell his story, eliminating punctuation, quotations, and other literary norms. In some ways, I think you could discuss many of the visual and formal elements of Speed Racer from a remodernist angle. Uh, in the vein of postmodernism, much of what they are doing deconstructs traditional film and narrative conventions. However, unlike the cynical nature of postmodern work, uh, Speed Racer, to Alice's point, is reinvigorating this narrative method with joy, heart, and color. Uh, this technique echoes the ideas of the remodernist work of Charles Thompson and Billy Childish. Uh, the Wachowskis take the simple idea of a children's cartoon and use it to deconstruct, redefine, and rebuild certain vernacular elements of film grammar. Well, it's so different from The Matrix because it's, I mean, those are films that are kind of uh, notable for their, their desaturized colors. Yeah. It, it is a very stark contrast. It's yeah. fascinating, I think. Um, which speaks, I think, to the versatility of them as filmmakers. Absolutely. Uh, in doing so, they prove that film can still be challenging, engaging, fun, and cathartic. I honestly think this film is, in many ways, as I said, a masterpiece and possibly uh, the Wachowski's second best film. Uh, I'm not super warm on the Matrix trilogy, uh, but I think I'm this sorry, is a solid how, film. How are we just now getting into this? I, I was not on that episode. Uh, and someday, as the film hopefully continues to ride a wave of rediscovery, uh, it will be put into a film studies course, but I digress. Guys, I think that today we have done our part to legitimize the status of Speed Racer, and that makes me happy. But we have to make the ultimate decision. And remember, dear listener, when we make this call, we're not asking you to literally purchase these movies or throw the ones in the trash if you already own them. It's our gimmicked way of saying whether you should take time to watch them or not. So with that in mind, Dalton Stewart, shelf or trash? Elser instead. I am going to say shelf. Uh, now again... I'm not a film buyer, and uh, in the vernacular of this show, let's be clear, shelf means watch it, trash means don't watch it. I do really think people should watch this movie, whether it is just a one-time digital rental or adding it to their collection. I think this is a film worth reevaluating. Again, I, I will agree there's problems. Um, I could have done with a lot more Trixie. I could have done with uh, a lot less um, uh, race car uh, bounty hunters. Uh, there's just <laughs> there's uh, there's some things in this movie that could have gone. It, I mean, it's two hours and twenty minutes long. It's it is on the long side, but I think it is really interesting and uh, and it is worth checking out if you haven't seen it or if it's been a really long time since you have. Um, 
to pair with it, I would definitely recommend uh, the first Matrix film. Uh, and you know what? Let's go ahead and throw in two and three because they're interesting, if nothing else. And I think it, it, it helps in understanding the Wachowskis as filmmakers. Um, I would throw in uh, not just because uh, of some uh, actually quite a few uh, cast carryovers, uh, but also some thematic carryovers. I would recommend the film they produced, V for Vendetta, uh, which we talked about on uh, this show not that long ago, and we talked about The Matrix on the show quite a long time ago. Uh, I would also recommend some other weird children's films that are, aren't quite for children, but uh, are definitely doing some similar things, like Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which we've also talked about on this show. Um, and, um, you know, let's go with a one more decidedly kid film that I think is still very emotionally mature. Let's go with The Iron Giant. Good picks, good picks. This is the Good Trash Listen to Us uh, cast. Uh, thank God, you for that. Yes, yeah, seriously. The, the list of movies we've talked about is getting longer and longer. Yes, as we as we near the dawn of episode 200. 200. Four years. It's crazy. It is crazy. Alex Bohannon, Shell for Trash, Elser Instead. What have you got? Oh, you don't need to see this movie. Um, tra- it's, it's fine. I won't watch it again. Just trash it. It's just... I, but it's inoffensive to me. Um, so trash even almost seems a little harsh. Um, so, yeah, trash. Not going to watch it again. Um, how about instead you watch Cloud Atlas? That's a really good Wachowski movie. That is movie. a very good movie. Um, I also will go with Wreck-It Ralph. Uh, see, you can see racers and bubblegum aesthetics um, on the big screen. <laughs> literally. Um, yes, yeah. <laughs> it, it is literally that. Um, then what else? I think that's going to be about it for my picks. Um, yeah, The Matrix. I think that's just you cap it off with that um you can watch uh you watch wreck it ralph in the middle it's about time for my annual watch of the matrix actually <laughs> oh goodness uh how many years running um too many okay uh, i mean uh, what year did it come out 99 so i, Since I mean then. i've probably seen it my making a point of watching it at least once a year started probably five years ago though Thank you for all of that. Caleb Masters, Shelf or Trash, Elser Instead. Yeah, I'm definitely warmer than Alex is, but I I mean, it's worth watching, and I do really think it's worth revisiting. And honestly, weirdly, I think, it, despite me not love, I like it, I don't love it, I think it's still going to be worth revisiting in five more years. I mean, it's definitely it's, a must for Wachowski completists. I feel in a weird way, like, I feel like it's a, a film that's really well suited for, like, this, like, I mean, I'm a millennial, so I've already got some of these traits. But these these people who are like doing 20 things at the same time, because that's what this movie's doing. It's very layered. So, uh, stream. I'm not going to put it on my shelf. I'll put it that way. I think it's worth watching. I think it's interesting. I think it's worth a revisit. But I'm probably not going to have it on my shelf. Um, instead, I think you go watch uh, another cartoon that I, I nobody knows this cartoon. It's a really obscure one. But there was, and I never. I just want to preface this: I have never been a NASCAR watcher ever but there was a cartoon from like the late 90s that was nascar racers it was like this movie though like it was a giant cartoon where they had like hot wheels style racing tracks and like they dope. had escape pods like they <laughs> they had like all the oil spill all the cartoony stuff in this movie was in that cartoon into it uh and it was it had all the they like would race in jungles and, and you guys remember and, wacky racers yep yeah uh, I don't know where you find NASCAR racers, but if you can find it and you liked this movie, then you should definitely watch that because it's very similar kind of a entertainment value there. Um, going back to adaptations, I just felt like picking one I liked, so I said Harry Potter and the Prisoner of uh, Azkaban because I think that's probably one of the best uh, best best of the Harry Potter films to bring. Like, hey, here's a really strong source material. Here's how Alfonso Cuarón is going to make his version of that story. That is very very much his version. I mean, of that da- movie. David Yates' stretch on that franchise is really. Oh no, good. those are good. Those are really really good. Uh, I don't want to. Uh, no, I actually like all of the, uh, David Yates' films, 
But as far as like taking, yeah, that's because it's pretty loyal to the book, but it still is so its own thing. That's fair. Um, and uh, of course, all the Wachowskis, uh, all of it. I even I I kind of put this one just a little bit above uh, Jupiter Ascending, which I don't love. So I would put this. I, 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 they're both equally interesting, but I I think as far as narrative cohesiveness goes, this works quite this a bit better, better than yeah, Jupiter yeah, Ascending. Yeah, it does. Um, uh, but otherwise, though, yeah, go all, all of it. V for Vendetta, Cloud Atlas is one of my all-time favorite movies. So go watch that movie instead. And you know what? I'll even stand up for the Matrix. Re- re- I don't like Revolutions as much, guys. I'm just going to throw this out there. I'm pretty sure the Wachowskis are massive Lost fans because they cast the lead of Lost, and Michael Giacchino also scored the score in this movie. So if you like Speed Racer, go watch Lost because there's a lot of similar talent working on that on that TV show. Thank you very much, Caleb Masters. I'm going to say shelf. I do like this movie quite a bit. I, I think we will be revisiting it uh, a lot down the road. Um, else, I think you watch. If you want to see some more rain, check out Ninja Assassin. Uh, give that a go. Uh, from the same what director. A, what a movie. Uh, what a, of V for Vendetta, Vendetta. Yeah. Which I, I also recommend. What a movie. What a movie. And uh, has the same uh, uh, inspector. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, V for Vendetta. He's also one of the uh, the, the uh, race car announcers uh, oh, okay. at yeah, the yeah. Grand Prix. Uh, and V for Vendetta because there's a stark contrast in visuals uh, and thematic depth, uh, but they pair well, I think, as Dalton mentioned earlier. Uh, next, check out Days of Thunder because it's fun uh, and there's racing. And finally, end with... Bust out the Super Nintendo, sit down, and just bust out some F-Zero X. And yes. just go to that is exactly what I thought oh, the man. entire time. Yes. Just, just, yeah. I mean, you're practically playing the video game by watching this movie anyway. Yeah. That's one of my favorite games, so. <laughs> it's okay. It's much deserved. Yep. All right, dear listener, I hope you had as much fun listening to us talk about Speed Racer as we had talking about it and our uh, hopeful cartoon adaptations that may someday happen if Hollywood ever hires us to write for them. Uh, but now we need to talk about next week. Next week, as we keep this anime coming, as we keep the Keith and Thon rolling, uh, we will be watching Pokemon the movie, and we'll be discovering more information about the mysterious Mewtwo and Mew. And if you're interested in finding out more about those Pokemon or Good Trash Media, uh, then head on down to the parish in OKC on Friday at Where 7 we o'clock. will not be watching Wink. Pokemon, Wink. the first movie. But we will be talking. The next time you listen to the Good Trash Genre cast, we'll, we will be we'll, talking we'll about We'll be talking that. about So think about how life. that works. So if... It, I don't know if there's some conglomerate party where this movie will be watched, uh, but if there is, you should try to find out about it so that you can join in on the conversation. But with the us. next time you listen to the show, we will definitely be talking that about it. And, we'll and we'll be talking about it live on the parish. That's, so. that's true. It will be a live episode. Huh. Funny how that works. Um, but we'll be having some fun watching a movie and then recording you know, this live episode of Good Trash. It's going to be a lot of fun uh, because movies are so much more than just 90 minutes and a bucket of popcorn. It's about the experience, the fellowship, and the conversation. And if you keep watching, we'll keep talking, and we'll see you next time. The Good Trash Genre Cast is produced and edited by Arthur Gordon. Direction by Dustin Sells. Social media by Alexandra Bohannon, Caleb Masters, and Dalton Stewart. Our intro and outro is Night Call by Kavinsky and Lovebox. We are also proud to feature music from Deer Tick this week on the program. For more information on this episode of the Good Trash Genrecast, as well as the rest of the Good Trash Media family, please visit goodtrashmedia.com.